Amen. Thank you, Dr. Payne, for that. Good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. God's grace and peace to you today. Well, as we read in the book of Matthew this past week, I was encouraged to consider the posture of our hearts as we approach him in worship. Matthew chapter 18 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so with that, let's approach the Lord today with childlike faith, in humility, in full dependence, imperfect, thankful, and in full assurance of our Father's love for us that he demonstrated by sending his only son, Jesus, to the cross to die for us while we were still sinners. Let's stand and worship. Oh, yeah. 
God's people said? Will you go to me in the Lord in prayer? Father, we, we come to you. Father, for you are the only person that we can truly run to. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are our creator. Not only that, you are our pursuer. You are the one who loves us despite who we are. You're the one who has shown a marvelous grace. You have sent your son to take our place. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is his death, his sacrificial death that demonstrates your love for us. And that is why we want to run to you, Father. That is why we want to run to you, Creator. We want to glorify you for all other ground is sinking sand. But you are our rock. You are our deliverer. And you do we trust. Father, we pray for our nation. We know this was a big week for the United States as another administration came in. But Father, we know that our hope does not come from those who are in government positions. Our hope comes from you. But even in that, we do pray as as Paul tells Timothy to pray for those who are in authority. So we pray for President Biden and his administration administration. Uh, Father, will you give him wisdom from heaven? Uh, Father, would you send the spirit to bring conviction upon him and those in his cabinet and those in his administration? Would they administrate? Would they lead with grace? Would they lead with mercy? Would they lead with a, with a sense of peace and unity and harmony? We know that our nation is divided. And so we pray for an administration that would be a unifying front. But even if that does not happen, Father, we pray for the church because the church is the one that projects the hope of the world. And so may when they look at the church, even in a divided nation, may they see a people, a diverse people, a people from every tribe, every race, every tongue, every ethnic group as one, not in uniformity, but in unity under the sun. And that is what we pray, Father. We seek your glory. And we seek to be image bearers that reflect your glory in every sphere of life. Today we trust you. Our hearts are not troubled because we trust in you. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's continue by reading responsively from Psalm 86, which reminds us of our need for God's mercy and his grace in listening to us in our prayers. Let's read responsively. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. For I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. 
You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours.
healer and our hope. You are our refuge and our comforter. There is nothing you cannot do. There is nowhere you cannot go. We love you because you first loved us. Good morning, Wheaton Bible. If you do not know, my name is Josh Laxton. I am one of the pastors here. It is such a joy and honor to be with you this morning. Let me welcome all of those of you who are joining us online. Can we just give a round of applause to those joining us online this morning? If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're in this series entitled The Upper Room, where we are looking at Jesus's kind of last words before he will be arrested and eventually crucified. And in that period of time, probably about 48 hours, he gives us some important truths that we need to embrace in our lives here in 20. 21. And so when you get there, will you go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? We're going to read one verse, but we're going to cover verses 1 through 14. Here's the one verse that we will read this morning. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let that see again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Then he says what? Believe in God and then believe also in me. Father, would you be glorified? Spirit, would you go to work crafting and molding us, your people, more into your image? I pray for those who are far from you this morning, that are seeking, that are searching. Spirit, would you draw them would you convict their hearts and draw them to yourself? May we leave this place changed because we have encountered you. And it's in your name we pray, our King. Amen. You may be seated. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That word troubled could be disturbed, 
unsettled, confused. Now, why in the world would Jesus tell his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled? Well, you have to understand the context. At Jesus, he had been talking about his impending death. Uh, Things were about to get darker before they were going to get brighter. Uh, He had showed them that they had failed in their understanding of what it means to be a servant. When he took upon the ministry of the towel and began to wash his disciples' feet, he shared with them that one of them would betray him. He told them that Satan wanted to sift all of them like wheat. And then he told Peter... The leader, you will deny me. So you could imagine if you're one of the the 11, because you kind of know if you're Judas at what what you're getting ready to do. But if you're one of the 11, you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, like we we believe that you are the king come to overthrow the empire, to to reinstate Israel, to bring back the glory days, to sit on the throne of your father. That's, That's what they're thinking. And then... For, for them to, in some sense, feel this shame that, I mean, we should have been the one that got the towel, got the bowl, and washed Jesus' feet, not, not him wash ours. So, so, so they're feeling probably this shame. Uh, they're, they're, they're confused as, okay, what's, what's happening? They're, they're, they're wondering in their mind, how could we run away from Jesus? Like, See, Jesus knew that the entire environment that the situation and the circumstance that they found themselves in would trouble their heart. Let me ask you this this morning. What troubles your heart? What is troubling your heart? Because here's what I know in kind of human life is that, that when we cannot figure life out, our, our heart's troubled. And, and even here's what we know. Even when we do get life figured out, Something happens and we're like, what had just happened? And then you have to figure it out all again. And so you're troubled. But what about finances, paying the bills? Maybe, maybe you're sitting there today and you're listening to this and you don't even know how you're going to pay your rent. And your heart is troubled. Maybe there are relational problems in your own life. Maybe there's tension in your marriage, tension between your grown kids. Uh, maybe a breakup, maybe a divorce, uh, Maybe political turmoil. Here's what I know in our country. Four years ago, a lot of people were troubled. This past week, a lot of people were troubled. And there's political turmoil. And there's confusion and uncertainty. Uncertainty in the market. Confusion as to identity, who you are, what you're called to do. Not being successful, not excelling. Loss of job, illness, sickness, death of a loved one. Recognizing your mortality. All of those things trouble our hearts. And so here's the main point that we're going to look at and flesh out this morning. The solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. The solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. And in the rest of this passage, what Jesus tells his disciples is is to not let their hearts be troubled because they have a home with God. And so here, January 24th, 2021, let Jesus' word not only go into our minds, 
but let it seep down into our heart that our hearts do not have to be troubled because we have a home with God. So there's three truths in the remaining uh, passage that we'll see this morning that follows our main point. Truth number one, here's, here's it. There's a room for you in God's house. There's a room for you in God's house. Here's what Jesus says in verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. Not, not mansions. That's kind of the KJV version based upon the Latin Vulgate. Uh, the, best play, the, the best translation is rooms, dwelling places. So in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If that were not so, I, I would, have, I, would, would I have told you. And I'm going, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, what's fascinating in these two verses is that Jesus actually picks up two biblical themes uh, that we see throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the first theme that we see is God's dwelling place. God's dwelling place. Do, do you realize, if you've studied Scripture, that God has always intended to dwell with man? He's always, he's always intended to be present with humanity. And, and here's, the, here's the trajectory that we see in Scripture. It starts in a garden where God dwells with Adam and Eve, and then it moves to a tabernacle and temple where God dwells with Israel. And then it moves from a temple to a person, Jesus. And then it moves from Jesus to his church, his body. And then it moves from his church and his body to a new city. And we see that in Revelation 21. And so what Jesus is doing here is that he is opening up this possibility that the disciples, that his followers, those who claim Jesus as Lord will dwell with God forever. Now, a little over a month ago, I preached a message here about the love of God in Genesis 3. Now, at the end of Genesis 3, we see that God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Now, now why did he kick them out of the garden? Because they sinned. They rebelled. They committed treason. And see, sinners, those who commit treason, those rebels, they cannot be be in the presence of God. God cannot dwell with sinners, so he kicks Adam and Eve out. But if you fast forward the narrative, you're going to see that God calls a man by the name of Abraham, and he promises Abraham to make him a great nation, and that God's going to bless Abraham and his descendants. He's going to give them a land. Now, when he creates Israel, he first gives them a tabernacle, this movable tent, so that wherever they went, the tabernacle tabernacle would be the centerpiece of Israel. Well, then when they get into the promised land, uh, years later, a king comes on the scene named David, and he wants to build a house for God. Well, he's not the one who really builds a house. Solomon does. And so the temple is the centerpiece of Israel. 
Everything in Israeli life revolved around the temple. But what was in the temple? The Shekinah glory, the presence of God. And God dwelt among his people Israel. And he says, as long as you follow me, as long as you obey me, you're going to, to enjoy life in this land. But the moment you begin to rebel and you disobey and you commit treason against me, I'm going to kick you out of the land. Well, that's exactly what happened. But God does not leave Israel as exiles, as strangers in the world. He sends prophets to tell them, hey, I'm going to send a king. I'm going to send a better king. I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a redeemer. And then you fast forward and we have Jesus come on the scene. And the gospel of John at the very beginning says, the word of God became flesh. And what did he do? He dwelt. Well, that word dwelt is tabernacled. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, I'm about to go on a journey. I'm, I'm getting ready to prepare for you a place. Now, is he kind of putting on his, his earthly father's carpenter hat and with his, you know, hammer and nails and going to build them a physical place? No, no, no. What he's talking about is that he is going to the cross. Because it's going to be the cross, his sacrificial death, his life in our place. It will be that that opens up the possibility, that opens up the door for humanity, for his followers, for his people to dwell with God forever. So what he's saying is, I'm going to make sure that you have a permanent dwelling place in the house of God. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Now the second theme that he picks out here, and this is a pretty cool one, is that of marriage and family. That of marriage and family. Now here's what's interesting. In Jewish antiquity, fathers would rearrange the marriage. So they would pick out a daughter for their son. Now what the family had to do was pay a bride price, a dowry. And then after the marriage is rearranged, they enter into a legal marriage. That's that's what we see with Mary and Joseph. They are betrothed. They are engaged. But But they're not celebrating the wedding yet. What's happening or what would happen is that the groom would go back to his father's place and start building a house and a residence for him and his bride. So not only do we have this concept of a dwelling place, but we have this concept of marriage and family that Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you so that When I'm done, I can come back. We can celebrate this marriage and you can live forever in my father's house. Now that's pretty cool. That's like a mic drop type truth. Because let that sink in just for a moment. That God wants you, he wants me, he wants us to be part of his house. And that he wants us to be part of his house so much that he sends his son and he pays this price of his son's life. Unbelievable. And that Jesus actually loves you enough and he loves me enough to die for us. 
And then there's coming a day when we will get to dwell with the Father and Son forever and ever and ever in a new creation devoid of sin. It's amazing. Now, I want to show you something else that I think is so, so cool. In John 13, 21, Jesus, we, 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 we read this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And here's what he says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, this is why this is so amazing. Because Jesus remembered, verse 1, tells the disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. But yet we read a couple places in Scripture where Jesus' heart is troubled. Don't miss this. Why is Jesus' heart troubled? Because he knows that God the Father is about to pour his wrath, his judgment out upon him. And when he does that, he will be cast out of the Father's presence. He will be cast out of home. And so this is why this is incredible news. We do not have to let our hearts be troubled because because Jesus has brought us in he has grafted us in to the father's house so jesus was troubled so that we don't have to be so that's truth number one that you that i we we do have a room if we want it in god's house the second truth that we we see from the lips of Jesus, or here from the lips of Jesus, is the way to God's house is simple yet sacrificial. The way to God's house is simple yet sacrificial. <laughs> so uh, Jesus says, uh, you know the way to the place where I am going. Oh, Thomas, he's a smart one. But he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way? <laughs> Jesus answered which if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you probably recognize this, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, before we break down Jesus' answer to Thomas, I want to note three tendencies that human beings have when they find out that this world isn't their home. Three tendencies that human beings tend to have when they find out that this world isn't their home. Number one is when they find out that this world isn't kind of their home, that they're uncomfortable, that they're troubled, that they go to work trying to make it their home. That's where you will see atheists and agnostics and naturalists and even postmoderns, they're going to work trying to make the world their home because they don't think that there's anything after what is, is. And if it's not what they want to be and they're uncomfortable and they're troubled, they go to work trying to make the world their home. That's why if you just look at even the cancel culture today, well, basically what it is is people saying, uh, you know what, I don't like your opinions. I don't like what you want to do with my house that I'm living in, so I'm canceling you. I'm discarding you. I'm kicking you out of my house. The, the second tendency is that people just give up and walk through life hopeless and in defeat. That's miserable. It's like fatalism, determinism. Like I can't change anything. World's bad. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just going to try to survive. We'll hunker down. We're going to try to survive. The third tendency is that people realize that they were made, they were made for another world, that there's another world out there. 
And this is where people try to figure out where that world is. And then they try to adjust their lives accordingly. And this is where we get religions, right? They realize something is wrong with the world. They try to you know, find something bigger. A God that's more transcendent out there. What, what has he said? And then they start adjusting their lives and they start following steps. They start following commands. They start following pillars in order to get to this other world. That's religion. It's philosophies. But that's not at all what Jesus tells Thomas. Thomas wants to know the way because Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place and you know the way. And Thomas is like, no, you don't. You haven't, you haven't texted me the address, Jesus. <laughs> we want the address so we can plug it in ways so we know exactly where you're going. And, and Jesus is like, um, all right, Thomas, uh, you, you still don't get it. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. That's the direction. Me. I'm the direction. Now, let's just break those down for just a moment. First, that Jesus is the way which is narrow and demanding. He's the way, but it's narrow and demanding. That's why in Matthew 7 we read, enter through the narrow gate. Now, I understand that people in our culture, they don't like this, right? It's just too narrow. It's too exclusive. But I'll tell you in just a second... I would much rather have this than some type of standard that I don't even know if I live up to it. See, the way home isn't through success, money, riches, possessions. It's not through enlightenment, arriving at some kind of knowledge or nirvana. It's not through works-based righteousness. It's not through personal freedom. The way home is through Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way home. And then he's the truth, which is hard and difficult. The truth is hard and difficult. In John 6, we read this passage where basically Jesus is teaching his people that he's the bread of life. That if you want eternal life, you need to eat me. And people think, well, this is weird. You a cannibal? And no, no, he's getting at the point that if you really want eternal life with God, you, you, you need me. And we read this at, that, at the end of that passage. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You see, the truth to home, it's not subjective, whatever is true for you. It's not based upon, I just need to read more, need to learn more, I, I, I need more knowledge. It's not based upon you having more discipline. Are you performing better? That, that's not the way home. The way home is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To glorify God in whatever you do, both in word and deed. That's the way home. But here, here, here's, just be honest. You, I, we, we cannot follow that. Like we can't follow that. That's truth. That's the way home. But we can't follow that. But here's the, here's the incredible thing is that Jesus is the truth. He has followed all of those things to A.T. And if we are in him, we are in truth. And if we are in truth, we are at home with God. And then Jesus says that he is the life, which is abundant and eternal. 
which is abundant and eternal. Uh, Jesus teaches us in John 10 that the thief, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it what? Abundantly. And then we read in John 3, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. You see, Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the better Israel. It is Jesus that gives us the vision of what it means to be truly human. And to be found in Jesus not only is the way, not only is the truth, but it is the life. Like if you want to figure out what it truly means to be human, to live life as a human being the way God intended you to live, then you need to be in Jesus. Because it is in Jesus that we get this picture and this vision of how we are to relate to God, how we are to relate to one another, how we are to love, how we are to forgive, how we are to show grace and mercy what it looks like to serve one another, what it looks like to embody purpose and live on mission. Jesus, he gives us what it means to celebrate diversity, celebrate ethnicity, celebrate gender, how we can bring unity in diversity. And Jesus is the one who is eternal and offers life eternal with him, devoid of sin, so that you might live your fullest life. Now, Jesus tells Thomas, that's the way home. It's simple. Now, think about it. It's simple. Jesus. How do I get, how, how do I get home with God? Jesus. But it's sacrificial. Because if you're going to go the way of Jesus, that means you've got to relinquish yourself. It's simple. But it's sacrificial because you... In order to gain life, you have to lose yours. <laughs> and then here's, what, here's another thing that's so incredible. You get to experience home now, even though it's not yet. What do you mean by that? Well, because Jesus will send his spirit to take up residence with you now. You get just a little glimpse of being at home with God, but it's not fully yet. So it's simple, it's sacrificial, it's now, but not yet. Let me ask you, do you know the way home? Do you know the way home? Do you know the way home? The third truth that Jesus gives us is that you can know that you are part of God's house. He wants you to know, he wants his disciples to know that, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You got a room with God. You get to dwell with God. And the way is simple, but it's sacrificial. It's me. And here's how you can know. You can know that you are part of God's house. Well, how? How, Jesus? How, how do we know? Well, verse 1, 10, and 11. Let's read those verses. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says to the disciples, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You know how you can know if you're part of God's house? Do you believe in Jesus? And here's the thing. Faith, belief, it's not, it's not magical. It's confidence in. It's trust in. It's belief in. That's faith. That is belief. That's pistio, faith. 
Pisio is the Greek, so I wasn't speaking in tongues. It was just the Greek word. And Jesus is like, to know that you have a home with God is to believe. I mean, don't you believe? And listen to what Peter, or Peter, Philip, listen to what he, he says. In verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Man, I just love the disciples, and I love their immaturity, because I get to learn from their immaturity. And Philip asked this, like, well, I would think it's a boneheaded question. Like, Lord, have mercy, Philip. Like, for three, three and a half years, you walked with Jesus. Like, do you need really something else? But, but Philip's like, hey, if I could just see the Father, listen, that will be enough. I mean, do you realize that that is what humanity has been saying ever since the fall? If I could just see God, I'll believe. Like, even Moses said, God, would you show me your glory? I would just want to see you. So Philip, I mean, he's asking what everybody has asked. Like, if I could just see God, like, I, I, I think he's out there. I, I believe that he exists. But man, if I could just see him, that would be enough. That, that would suffice. And uh, Jesus tells Philip, if you see me, you have seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And then he's like, if you don't even believe that, just believe the evidences. Like raising the dead to life, giving sight to the blind, feeding the 5,000, calming the storm, that's God in me. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, I know what you're thinking kind of online there, sitting at your house or riding in your car. You're thinking, well, you know, it would have been pretty cool if we were one of the 12 and we would have got to see Jesus. We would have believed. I mean, the Philip, Thomas, we know that they had a hard time. But listen, reading all of this stuff, if we would have been there, if we would have saw Jesus, then we would believe. And then you're thinking, well, I don't get to even see Jesus now. If I could just see Jesus, if Jesus could just walk planet Earth right now and I could see him in the physical body, I'd believe. See, Jesus knew that you were going to ask that. Jesus knew that you were going to say that. You know how I know that Jesus knew that you were going to say or ask that? Because of what he says in verse 12. Here's what he tells Philip and the disciples. Very, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. What he is saying is that what I'm about to do and what and who I'm about to give you, you're going to do greater works than what I've even done here on planet Earth. In other words, you will be my continued presence and face of God here on planet Earth. So what has happened uh, since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is this. It's been a Holy Spirit-empowered mission where he has empowered disciples to carry the name of Jesus. And this gospel began in Jerusalem. It spread to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And as the gospel of Jesus spread, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, that he is in the process of making all things new, the 
world witnessed sinners turned saints. Hard hearts became soft. Jews and Gentiles became one. I'll put that in today's vernacular. Democrat and Republican became one. The Colombian and the redneck became one. The young and the old became one. African Americans and Caucasians became one. Families were changed. Marriages were restored. Cities were transformed. Empires turned around. The marginalized was elevated. The orphan was adopted. The poor was served. The oppressed found mercy and grace. The sick were cared for. The lame were loved. Life was defended from grave to, to birth to grave. The persecuted learned to forgive. The imprisoned sang and martyrs died with joy. And for 2,000 years, when the world would witness the church in that way, they would experience the presence and the power of God. And they would see his face. And so what Jesus tells us is that your hearts do not have to be troubled in whatever environment, circumstance, or situation that you find yourself in. Why? Because if you are in Jesus... You are at home with God. So the solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. Let's pray. Jesus. Oh, if there's troubled hearts this morning, would you, would you comfort them? If they're, if they're your disciple, if they're your follower, would you comfort their hearts? Because home, home, the presence of God comforts our hearts. For those of you who do not know you, but they are troubled, for whatever reason, may today they surrender to you and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. You are my Savior. You're my King. I trust in you. And would you bring calmness and peace to their troubled hearts? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is John Walker. Uh, It's my honor to serve as uh, chairman of your elder board. Uh, I need to let you know that we have uh, experienced a significant setback in our senior pastor search. Uh, In fact, it was uh, our intention this morning to introduce to the congregation the elders recommended candidate for our next senior pastor, uh, a candidate from outside our church. Last Thursday evening, just three days ago, we received a call from the candidate withdrawing himself from consideration for personal reasons. Now, while this wasn't the message we wanted to bring you this morning, I want you to know that the elders are fully committed to open transparency with you. And so this is the message we have to bring. This is clearly a blow to our efforts, but we are confident that God will provide for Wheaton Bible Church. He has led us and sustained us for 90 years, and we know that he will continue to do so. We are praying and will be developing plans on how to best proceed on our journey together as a church. Now this will take some time, so I ask you 
to please be patient. Um, we invite you to join us in waiting upon the Lord and seeking his provision and his timing. Uh, it has been our, as has been our practice, we will continue to give you regular updates. We ask for and we value your prayers and your support. At this time, I'd like to ask Elder Jim Getz, chairman of our search committee, to lead us in prayer. Just a word before we pray. Josh, thank you. As God redirects us, uh, we know we can trust him, uh, for he is sovereign. We are very grateful for his love, his faithfulness to this church, and we are very grateful for your love and for, for your prayer for this church. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, to be home with him. So let us turn to him in prayer. Dear God, we come to you this morning knowing that our home is with you. We praise you for your great love, your great power, for your sovereignty in all things. We are so very grateful for the love that we share here together at Wheaton Bible Church. With all of our concerns, we come to you and we trust you. Give us this morning a strong measure of your peace, of your love, and of your hope. As our hearts are challenged in this country, in this church, in our homes, and in our own hearts. We just ask that you give us your love, your peace, and now your wisdom. In these coming days, bind our hearts with yours and bind our hearts together here in this church, just as you have done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church. Uh, my name is Jonathan Harris. You've seen me around. I'm worship pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church, and we want to take some time. Uh, we are the people of God, and Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And we know where that comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. And as we've heard, we're trusting the Lord, and we want to take some time before we respond to, to his word, before we sing again today to actually pray, to do what we sang about this morning earlier today. We sang, take it to the Lord in prayer. So God listens to our prayers, and this is a time for us to be on our knees, to humble ourselves, to seek his face. And so we want to do that right now. As the people of God, we want to spend some time praying uh, here. And if you're at home, if you're joining us this morning, take some time to pray for our church, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our elders, to pray for God's provision. And I, what I want to do is just lead us in just remembering his word. And some, some verses 
uh, to shape and frame our prayers as we seek Him uh, during this season. And I want to remind us, James 1.5 says, Anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. And so would you, would you bow with me and take some time, whether you're here in person or at home, take some time to bow before the Lord and to pray for wisdom. And do that there privately and lift up your prayer asking for wisdom. Father, we know wisdom comes from you. And we cry out, we ask that you give wisdom to our leaders, wisdom to our elders, uh, the committee. And we trust that you give abundantly. We also want to ask for your provision. Psalm 23 says, you are our shepherd and we will lack nothing. You know our needs And you define what we need, and you always provide. So we trust you that he who gave his own son for us, he did not spare his son. He will give us all things in Christ. And so we trust you. We also ask for humility, for us to humble ourselves, to take this time to seek your face at home with our families as a church, to be constantly in prayer and also trusting you and depending on the Holy Spirit. And when we do not know how to pray, then we, when we do not understand or when we do not know what the future holds, we trust that your Spirit intercedes for us. So help us to be on our knees and trust you and experience your peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us remember that you are the chief shepherd. And help us be a church, like Paul says, that is equipped with every good gift to do your will as we wait on you to be salt and light, to point to the way, to continue to worship you, to follow you, to lift you up, to pray to you, to tell others about you. May this be known as a house of prayer. May we be known as people of prayer. So we take this time to humble ourselves before you, trusting that you will honor that because of Jesus. So now we, we want to respond to you and sing together. Lord, be glorified. In all of this, be glorified. In our lives, in our church, be glorified, Jesus. It's all from you and for you, through you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with us now? Let's respond singing.
church, know that you are loved more than you or I will, will ever know. Let me read this passage for the benediction. Jesus, he utters these words, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You are sent out as more than conquerors through him who, have, who has loved us. You are sent to be the salt and light of the world, church.